that you have enjoyed the favor, the rich favor, the bountiful favor of our almighty God. There's none like him in all of the earth, none like him in the universe. He alone is God, and he is incredible at what he does. I keep remembering that bumper sticker. It says, I am God. My job is taken. You do not need to apply. <laughs> Amen. And that is so true. Uh, this year, our theme has been, say it with me, kingdom keys to an abundant life. Much love, many blessings, and great favor. That's God's will for you and your life this year and your family. I'm in a new series that is designed to help us overcome our doubts that we may experience much love, many blessings, and great favor. I've been teaching that faith is perhaps the single greatest key that, that exists by way of a kingdom key anywhere in the world. I don't know what happened. Sorry about that. But um, at any rate, now, now mine is going up here flat, so... Uh, we'll get it there in just a moment. The past couple of Sundays, and once again today, I'm teaching on turning doubts to faith. In order to turn doubts into faith, I feel it is necessary that we be honest and confront the questions that we have. I personally don't think Jesus was ever offended by questions. I don't think he was upset when people came to him wanting answers in sincerity. I believe, and if you study the Bible... Based upon the distinction I've made between doubt and faith, I think you will agree with me. Jesus always recognized the difference in the two. He knew when there was unbelief, which is hardened arrogance. I don't care what you show me. I'm not going to accept it. And doubt, which is based upon a lack of information or a lack of experience. So some of the questions I am addressing in this series are how to turn your doubts into faith. Then starting today and next Sunday, I'll deal with this question. Life's most important question, is God real? Then is the Bible God's word? Then evolution or creation, which is the truth? Does God still heal today? Does God still speak today? Does prayer really work? Does God really care for me? Does God have a purpose for my life? Do I have a destiny, in other words? I'm even going to talk about how Christians should vote. Oh, don't worry. I'm not going to tell you to be Republican or Democrat or vote for one or the other. <laughs> you know, but I'm going to give you some principles. If Christians would stand on the word, we could impact this nation. And I'm going to talk about also, can a mortal man have an encounter with an eternal God? My thesis is faith. It's hard to develop if you don't understand that the Bible has answers to questions. You want answers? The Bible's full of them. Our text, Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 22, for this year, my son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, do not let them depart from your eyes, and keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and what? Health to all their flesh. The word health is the Hebrew word morpe, which literally means medicine prescription. God has a cure, a prescription. From the great physician, there's a prescription in the Bible for what you're walking through. And so when it comes to doubt, there's a prescription. We look today at Mark chapter number 9, which is our text for this part of the series. 
Jesus asked the boy's father, speaking of the boy was brought to him on the mount as Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. They brought a boy that was possessed of a demonic spirit, and the boy had been prayed for by the disciples, but they could not cast the spirit out. So Jesus asked the boy's father this question, how long has he been like this? The answer from childhood, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus looked at the man and said, if you can. Everything is possible for one who believes. <laughs> Turn to somebody and say, all things are possible. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome mine unbelief. My thesis has been that contrary to what you have heard, you can have as a believer moments of doubt. You can even have doubt and unbelief at the same time as I've shown you. That is, or rather doubt and faith at the same time. Does that disqualify you? It didn't this man. This man went on to see his son healed and delivered from that demonic experience. So I want to talk to you about the fact that there are influences in our world that are setting us up to doubt. I've mentioned some of those. Some of those I've deliberately left out. I've talked about the influence of culture and media. Talked about the influence of education. I believe in education. I've been in school most of my life. I'm right now researching to start a third PhD program. I believe in education. I figured out a long time ago I'm going to be in school as long as I live. I will. And so will you. You say, not me. I, I'm done with it. Oh, no, you're not. You'll either be in school getting a degree or you'll be in the school of hard knocks, but you will be in school. <laughs> I promise you. Amen. The only difference is, is in the school of hard knocks, there are no early warnings. You're going to have a test come Friday. That doesn't happen in a school hard knocks. Amen. Whether you get a degree for it is your choice, but I figured out I'm going to be in school the rest of my life, and I want to do the best I can to help the people of God. And so I believe in education, but I have watched over the years as education has turned to become increasingly hostile to the things of the kingdom of God, which is why I'm so grateful for the professors and the teachers in this church who work in universities and in the schools that stand and teach the principles that they know to be true and do not allow their faith to be, as it were, taken away from them. And when the right opportunity comes, they've been known to help somebody else have faith. They don't shove it down anybody's throat. They're being wise. But they help other people through these matters. There's so many things that affect what we believe. Negative publicity, I, I will say this up front, sometimes we Christians have not always been our own best advertisement. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I'm being real, more real than you are. You're like, how oh, dare that, that church is wonderful. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. But then there are other occasions whenever, you know, people leave the church for whatever reason, they've struggled with issues, become embittered, angry, and they go out and say all kind of things, and if you don't know what really went on and and as pastors, I, I would never tell you what happened. I'm not going to talk bad about anybody. And I'll, I'll cover them because that's my role. I'm a shepherd. I've had people leave and go out and say ugly things. And, and we've had the help. And they were 
We couldn't promote them in ministry. They wanted to. They got mad. And the reason we couldn't, I've, I've had people using all kind of language and cuss words and doing things. And, but to hear him tell it, we're the worst people on, on the planet because we didn't promote them or whatever. You'll never hear the true side of what happened. You'll just have to have enough spiritual discernment to walk through it. But the reason I mention this to you is because out there in the community, folk who do not, do not know how wonderful I am. <laughs> and how wonderful you are. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing you right now. Well, then could possibly be influenced and the next thing you know, because we're representing Christ, you see, this is what really matters. It's not what they say about any of us, but it's because we represent Christ and it's our Christ who himself comes to be under the microscope of scrutiny and examination in question. More and more of late, you hear things like, is God even real? And more and more of late, you get the impression that the whole world is going atheist and science has basically disproved the existence of everything we read in the Bible. I was watching the news just last night, and there's a guy named Michael Brooks who's just written a book. He's a Ph.D., and he's a, a physicist with a Ph.D., and he revealed that over 30% of scientists fudge their reports and their information. Over 30%. The guys we thought, tell it like it is, you know. Uh-uh. He said they falsify reports experiments, lab work, because at the end of the day, that's how they get promoted. And you can't believe everything even your scientists tell you. Listen to this. CNN, a few weeks ago, did everything but hold a party and celebrate what they inferred was basically the demise of Christianity in America. Why? A Pew survey from the Pew Research Center revealed that the percentage of Americans 30 years and younger, who harbor some doubt about God's existence, appears to be growing quickly. The recent survey said that while most young Americans, or while most young Americans, 68% of, of these young Americans told the Pew survey they never doubt God's existence. That's a 15-point drop in just five years because in, nine, in 2007, 83% of American millennials, that's a term for 30 years of age and younger, 83% uh, of them in the year 2007 said they had never doubted God's existence. That's 83% in 2007, but last year it was 68%, a 15-point drop. And so they're basically celebrating people are doubting God. Well, I read that and went on to read into the survey. And you know what? First thing I thought of, it came to my mind when I was taught to do research, I was taught that the way you pose the question will pretty much determine the answer. Okay? You can prove anything using statistics. Didn't you have that drilled into you? You can prove anything using statistics. That's how you formulate the question. What they asked these young people, have you ever doubted God? And 68% said, no, we have not. Do you realize that 32% only that said they've doubted the existence of God? Now, I'm going to make a confession. If they hold that same survey among people my age, I'm going to have to say, 
I'm a pastor and I've doubted. Because you can't live in this world without some doubts going through your mind. The difference is, my grandmother taught me this. Boy, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head. But you can sure stop one from building a nest in your hair. I've been through some stuff that made doubts momentarily go through my mind. Did that mean I quit believing in God? No. No. The way they put the question, it makes it look like these kids gave up on God. They didn't. You know what I saw in this, this survey? What I saw is that young people are being more open about their religious questions now. Instead of just dogmatically, no, I, I never doubt the existence of God. Well, in their heart, they really are having some doubts about matters that have to do with the Bible and spiritual issues. Then they go away to universities and come back atheists or agnostics. Instead of that happening, they're saying, yeah, I admit it. I've had a few doubts from time to time, but I haven't given up on God. Listen, to prove to you that they have not given up on God, listen, listen, I want, I want you to hear what, what else this a survey found a recent Newsweek poll found that 84% of Americans believe in miracles Further 79% of Americans believe that the miracles in the Bible as described in the Bible literally occurred Not only that but 48% of Americans claim to have personally experienced a miracle You say yeah, but the other was about God. This is about miracles. Aha. You see, the real issue is not miracles here. The real issue is not whether you believe that a miracle has ever happened or can happen or experience one. It's if there's a miracle, there's a supernatural being that's making miracles happen. The real issue is, is there a God? And overwhelmingly, most Americans believe there is. And not only that, most people around the world. To be honest, in America, we're almost having to learn to be politically correct about what we believe. Look, we're afraid to say anything, lest some professor laugh at us. Like the little boy who went to Sunday school for the first time. He came back, and his mother said, son, what'd they teach you? He said, mama, it was incredible. He said, first of all, the Egyptian paratroopers, the infantry, and special forces came after Israel. Israel fled but came to the Red Sea. So the Israeli army came and bombed the Egyptians. The special forces provided covering fire as the Egyptians escaped, or rather as the Israelis escaped. And the Israeli navy built a pontoon bridge. And Israel crossed over. And the mother said, what? Is that really what they taught? He said, no, not exactly. But if I told you what they said, you, you wouldn't believe it anyway. You know. <laughs> God parted the water. you know. So he embellished the story. The kid had grown up in an environment, was growing up in an environment, obviously, where he felt like he needed to be politically correct about his beliefs in the Word of God. Skeptics will always find a place to disbelieve, not hold to the teachings of of the truth. But the real issue about miracles here is that it answers the question I'm talking about. If you believe there is a miracle, then you have to believe there is a God because a miracle is a supernatural intervention. 
And even if you don't believe that God does miracles today, and we in this building, I'm sure most, if not all of us do, you have to believe in at least one miracle. Amen. And that is the miracle of creation because it is a miracle. Somebody in the building say praise the Lord here this morning. And so Psalms 19, verse 1 through 4, I want us to read that. Is there a God? Life's most important question. If you want to know whether there's a God or not, you ready? Look up. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. What is the Bible saying? The Bible is saying that if you want to know whether or not God is real, if God exists, look up. Because even though they do not have the capacity and ability to articulate language the way that you and I can, the universe is communicating something to us. Look up. And I'll say it this way. What God's word is really declaring is that the most powerful evidence for the existence of God is the universe we live in right now. Amen. And do you know that is literally the truth? This verse, these verses that I've just read, are the basis, and I don't mean to bore you, I'm going to get into some so-called intellectual concepts here this morning, but if you can get this down, it will make you want to worship God later on. It will make you know there is a God. It will put joy in your heart, and it will keep your faith from being undermined when it is questioned. So these verses are the basis of what is called the cosmological argument. In philosophy, that's what it's called, the cosmological argument. What does it mean? The cosmological argument mean, literally means this, that if something exists, there was a cause for it to exist. And then if there was a cause for it to exist, are you watching? There must have been a causer. Hmm. That sounds so simple, but it's really very, very profound because all scientists today, regardless of whether they're atheist or not, have come to embrace this one thing, that the universe began with what is called the Big Bang. The Big Bang is not hypothetical. The Big Bang is not conjecture. The Big Bang is proven fact. From a center point, everything is moving out in opposite directions in our universe at the same speed. Not only that, scientists have pointed their sensitive instruments into space and they can still hear the echoes of the explosion of the Big Bang bouncing around in outer space. You know what I think they're hearing? I think they're hearing the voice of God. Because God spoke the worlds into existence. And Hebrew scholars say they, that the words came out of his mouth like letters of fire and formed the world. Amen. According to science, the Big Bang occurred in a matter of nanoseconds, which is a fraction of a second too small for us almost to, to be able to, to understand. Tremendous heat was suddenly released. There's those flames of fire. And in that instant, our universe was created. Something flashed. And caused a gigantic explosion. 
It burned with a fiery heat beyond human imagination and hurled rapidly expanding matter in every direction. The universe exploded with such force that it is still moving out from the center of its creation in all directions at the same speed right now. You know how long it took for that to happen? Uh, before that moment, there was nothing. That's what science says. Before then, there was nothing. Then a big bang. That's a cosmological argument. You know how long it took? Watch this. It was a number so small, they're going to put it on the screen right now, that there is a decimal followed by 32 zeros and one. That's the fraction of a second that it took for the Big Bang to begin. Your watch don't count time that accurately. You hear what I'm saying. In that split second, something happened. Now, here's the problem. Our universe is governed by the laws of thermodynamics. The first law of thermodynamics states that in an enclosed system, no new matter can be created or done away with. You can change it from one form to another. You can burn something and it can change to carbon. You can take water and put it under heat and it will become vapor or put it under extreme cold and it will become ice. You can change it from one form to another, but you can never do away with created matter, nor can you create more matter. Got news for you. Little problem in all of that because even science admits there was nothing there. And here I is today. And so are you. Can I hear somebody in the room say hallelujah? And we live on this planet called Earth. And there are countless other objects in the solar system that are around us. The Hebrew word that is translated in Psalms 19 and 1. Let's look at it in the New Living Translation. says this. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. That's... Uh, uh, his marvelous craftsmanship is supposed to be there. And the, the Hebrew word that is translated marvelous craftsmanship literally is a word that is scientifically specific. What it means is simply this. This is what Hebrew scholars say the word means. It means motion of different parts of the same thing at the same time in opposite directions and with force. Opposite directions. With force at the same time. That's the big bang. That's how God created all of this. Now if you want to know that God exists. There's the cosmological argument. That there was nothing. And then suddenly there was something. Yet science says that's an impossibility. But it's here. Like the little old bumblebee that aeronautics engineers say cannot fly. And it's busy flying because it never went to school to learn that it could not. <laughs> Amen. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Secondly, if you want to know that God exists, just think. Tell somebody, just think. Watch it. This is going to get good. This is the basis for what is called the teleological argument. I know that's a word probably many of you have never heard. 
But in philosophy, and I've had to study this, you'll run across this. Listen to me. I'm not going to bore you, but the theological argument is the design argument that cites the need for the existence of God because of the design and purpose in the universe. The argument states that purpose and design exist in nature beyond the scope of any such human activities. That is, not even humans trying can make happen what's happening in the universe. We are doing our best. We can't make planets go in orbits and things happen and all of these things take place. And therefore, since there is such design and perfection in the universe beyond human ability, given this premise, the existence of a designer can be safely assumed. What does all of that mean? Isaiah 42 and 5, this is what the God the Lord says. The creator of the heavens who stretches them out and spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. God stretched it out and made it with such perfection that when you look at it, you cannot help but notice design. Now, here's the problem. The second law of thermodynamics says things left to themselves fall apart. You know, the Nigerian playwright and author, Mr. Chube, if I'm saying his, Achube, if I'm saying his name right, he wrote the book, Things Fall Apart. He's correct. Because left to themselves, things don't get better. Have you ever left your house a mess and come home and the floor was vacuumed? Your clothes washed and hanging in the closet? Your dirty dishes cleaned and put back on the shelf. Your shrubbery trimmed and your lawns mowed. Uh-uh, it's not going to happen. Or have you ever left your car and came back and the tank was refilled with gas? And the wheels had been rotated and balanced. Come on, help me out now. And it had been washed and waxed on top of that. No, when you got back to your car, it had a big sign written by someone's finger on the window said, wash me, please. That's what you found, right? Wash me, please. Because things left to themselves do not get better. They get worse. Yet in this universe, there was an explosion that suddenly gained organization. Something was created out of nothing and then after being created out of nothing, moved into such symmetry and perfection that millions of eons later, it is still functioning the way that God made it to function. Why? Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Somebody shout hallelujah here today. Here's the problem. How did such a violent explosion get organized? It was so explosive, it's still hurling, hurling matter. Well, how did it get so organized? Amen. The world's leading theoretical physicist says that there must be religious overtones. Watch this. Stephen Hawkins. Heard of him? Supposedly the most brilliant th physicist in the world today. Quote, 
the odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. I think clearly there are religious implications wherever you start to discuss, or whenever you start to discuss the origins of the universe. There must be religious overtones. That's the most brilliant man in the world. So whoever the little old scientist is called Richard Dawkins says there is a, no God. How did all of this get organized? It's like somebody else said that I told you about. A tornado blowing through a junkyard. And all of a sudden a 54 Chevy is left standing there put together by the parts in that junkyard. It's just not going to happen. I've seen a few tornadoes and I've seen a few junkyards. You hear what I'm talking about. Not only that, Roger Penrose, a major player in the development of black hole theory, estimates the odds for our universe at 1 in 10 billion to the 30th power. You want to know how big a number that is? Put it up there. That's it right there. One chance out of a number that big. Just between me and you? Don't go to Vegas if these are your odds. You get my drift here. Don't buy a lottery ticket if these are the odds. I don't buy one, but if you ever buy one, don't if these are the odds against you winning. Just give somebody an offering and trust God to bless you like he said he would. Amen. And I'll tell you something else. Don't put your soul in jeopardy if these are your odds About whether heaven or hell is real. Hmm. One chance out of 10 billion with 30 some odd zeros behind it that there is no heaven? Nah, I'll stay with the book. Amen. I'll stay with what I got. Thank you. That's why I say it takes enormous faith to be an atheist. Enormous faith. Here is the question Is it wise, as I said? To allow someone to tamper with your spiritual beliefs when their odds this large against them being correct. Think about it. Many of the world's most brilliant thinkers readily admit the existence of a God. Now I will tell you up front, what many of them have never learned is that God is a personal God. So they think in terms of deism. They're theists, which means they believe in God, but they're deists, which means that they believe God created the world but doesn't get involved in man, man's life today. So many of them don't know about a personal God. They've never had an encounter. Now, I'm sorry. They came too late to tell me there's no personal God because I already met him. I had a God encounter. I found out God will relate to you. Amen. They don't understand that. But this is what they do believe, that something had to put this together. Many of them do. For example, listen, astrophysicist Sir Fred Hoyle. Sir, sir. Sir Fred Hoyle. Knighted by British royalty for his discoveries. Credited with the discovery of the resonances of carbon and oxygen atoms, explained this process. A common sense interpretation of the fact suggests that a supernatural 
Our super intellect has monkeyed with the physics as well as with the chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces we're speaking of or speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates uh, th that one calculates from the facts seems to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion beyond question. What is he saying? He said the organization of the earth is, uh, and the universe is advanced to such a degree that if you want to believe that it just happened, he said, you're the one with the problem. He said, because anybody knows there must have been a super intellect that organized it for it to be at this advanced state. Einstein claimed that the cosmos is so complex that it reveals a being of super intelligence. Listen to what he said. The scientist is possessed by the sense of universal causation. That means what caused the universe. His religious feelings take the form of a rapturous amazement at the harmony of natural law, which reveals an intelligence of such superiority that compared with it, all the systematic thinking and acting of human beings is an utterly insignificant reflection. What does that mean? First of all, let me remind you who Albert Einstein was. They say in all of the history of the earth, there may have been eight or nine people intelligent enough to understand what Albert Einstein was talking about when he put his theories together. All these, the, you know, you get these physicists that don't believe, oh, yeah, me and Einstein, we just like this, you know. And there are only eight or so people in the whole history of the world smart enough to understand what he was talking about when he put his theories together. And they didn't figure him out. He's the one that figured him out. Now watch this. This guy went on to say that we are possessed with this sense of universal causation. How did the world get here? And all of the human intelligence together, he is saying, is utterly insignificant when you realize that there must be an intelligence of superiority that put this together. Look at this. All the systematic thinking and acting of human beings is nothing but insignificant reflection. There's something bigger than we are. And you heard that all of science was opposed to God. Don't you believe not a word of it? Over 40% of American scientists are firm believers in an almighty God. That's the latest statistic. Newsweek magazine even had as its cover some time ago, science finds God. And talked about the fact that over 40% of American scientists firmly believe in the existence of God regardless of what you're hearing. So you're not out there by yourself. No. When you examine the material, it's the only logical conclusion you can come to. The cosmological argument indicates that nothing could have come into a place where there was nothing previously. It's an enclosed system. First law of thermodynamics. And the teleological argument says that what did come in is so precisely designed that it's impossible to believe that it didn't have a designer. Look again at what was said. Robert Gastro, the world's leading astronomer, wrote this in his book, God and the Astronomers. Considering the, consider the enormity of the problem. Science has proven that the universe exploded into being at a certain moment. It asked what cause produced the effect. Who or what put the matter and energy into the universe? Science can't answer these questions. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. 
If all you got is reason, you're, you're living a nightmare, he says. He has, sealed, he has scaled the mountains of ignorance and is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries who already knew how the world got here. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. Heinemann Prize winner in mathematical physics, Robert Griffin, said this. If we need an atheist for a debate, we go to the philosophy department. The physics department isn't much use. Meaning, if you're a physicist, you have to acknowledge somebody put it out there. But if you're a philosopher, oh, I've got all these degrees. My, my wall is lined and wallpapered with my degrees. I'm a philosopher. I am a deep thinker. And I ponder secrets and I ponder mysteries that are so deep they're beyond the mind and capacity of mortals such as you to understand it. So take my word. There is no God. Scientists are saying if we need somebody to debate atheism and say there is no God, we can't do it in the physics, the physicist department, among the physicists. We've got to go to the philosophy department because they don't know anything. They're in their little cloud up here I've studied philosophy. Amen. Listen to this. Oh, it gets better. <laughs> Psalms 104 and verse 5. He established the earth upon its foundation so it will not totter forever and ever. Do you know that in 1959, scientists discovered our world is so perfectly balanced where there's a mountain range on one side, there's something else on the other to balance it? Those of you that have ever worked with mechanics... Those of you that have ever had a tire get out of alignment, you know what I mean. You're going down the road and your tire, you're, 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 you're doing this at, at 55 miles an hour because your tires are out of alignment. They're, they're imbalanced. You ever see something that went from being concentric to eccentric? Guys, works in mechanics or ladies. When it becomes eccentric, that means it's not making a perfectly round revolution. And what happens if it's a pump? What will happen? It will literally fly apart because it's no longer balanced. And so you have to watch things like this and there are delicate instruments and all of these refineries around here and chemical plants to make sure all of this is well balanced. Why is it? Because they know that without proper balance, it cannot work. And the earth, what keeps it perfectly spinning around the sun every 365 and one quarter days a year? Making a complete 360 on its axis every 24 hours. It's the fact that it's so perfectly balanced that it doesn't fly out of alignment. Who put that balance there? The God that I serve. Well, somebody in the building needs to say hallelujah. Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room right now. I'm talking about a God that is so big, he measured the waters in the palms of his hand. And said, I got a mountain range on this side, so let me put an ocean over here. That weighs just enough to balance that mountain out. Oh. Woo! Is there a God? You better know there's a God. Somebody in the building said, Hallelujah. Scientists have also identified at least 75 different finely tuned aspects of our world that are so necessary for our existence that if they were not, even one of them did not exist, there would be no life on this planet.
For example, if the sun were any further from the center of the galaxy, planets could not form. If it were any closer, stellar density would interfere with our orbit. They're talking about gravity. Any further away, there would not be enough gravity to form the hold a planet together. Any closer, it would be so dense that nothing could, there would, it would all just be one big mass. Watch it now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk to you about some stuff. You may not get excited about this, but I do, and your kids need to know what I'm talking about right now. If the earth were one degree closer to the sun, we would burn up instantly. If we were one degree further away, we would become ice cubes overnight. That's how powerful this God is. If the moon was any closer or larger, the tides would destroy the coastlines. If any smaller or further away, the oceans would die from lack of nutriment that is caused by oceanic movement. Mm. The, the oceans would stagnate. If the distance from Jupiter were any greater, asteroids and comets would pepper the earth. Why? Because Jupiter acts like a vacuum cleaner to suction all of that cosmic debris that would otherwise destroy our planet. If it were any closer to our orbit, guess what? We would be unstable and get sucked into Jupiter. Oh, my God, this blows my mind. If the surface gravity was any stronger, Earth would retain too much ammonia and methane, and we couldn't breathe. If it were any weaker, the Earth's atmosphere would lose too much water, and we'd all die of thirst. Think about it. If the magnetic field were any stronger, electromagnetic storms would destroy us. If any weaker, the ozone shield would not protect us from stellar and solar radiation. We'd all have cancer. You say, oh, that just happened. Uh-uh. There's a God that put all that together and timed it precisely. If the earth's crust were any thicker, it would absorb too much of our oxygen. If it were any thinner, the volcanic and tectonic activity would make life impossible. If the decay rate of a proton was any faster at all, we would all die from radiation. If it was any slower, there would be insufficient matter in the universe for life to exist. If the carbon dioxide level was any greater, runaway greenhouse effect would kill us. If it were any less, planets would be unable to to maintain photosynthesis and when the plants die everything else dies who put all of that mm. don't you let your kids go away to college without teaching them what they need to know they need to be able to sit in a classroom while some atheistic professor at some university somewhere is trying to laugh at them for believing in God and smile and say, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. They need to know why we believe in God. Even the tilt of the earth's axis is crucial to maintaining the earth's temperature. Listen. If we were one degree off, there would be another ice age. We would topple over. If the polarity of the water molecule were any greater, vaporization would be too great for life. If it were any smaller, ice would not float, build up. There would be a buildup of ice that would literally freeze the planet. The probability of just 75, and I've only given you a few of these 75, but the probability of these 75 vital factors occurring anywhere in the universe is much smaller than 12 in 100,000 trillion, 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 trillion. 
Put that number up there so they can see how big it is. One less than 12 in that number. Again, my best advice, if you run into odds like that, don't go to Vegas. And I'm telling you, that's the odds that exist about whether or not God is is real. They're saying that he's not real. That's the odds. They are correct. The world is too complex for the world to exist without God ever created it. And you knew I was coming here. Put it up on the screen. Psalms 14 verse 1. I'm going to say it again. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Why? They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that does good. The reason people don't want to believe in God is they're going to have to change their life. Hallelujah. They don't want to change their life. And so they look at you and you make them feel bad. Do you know what I mean? There is God. There is. I know who he is. I met him. Hallelujah. His name is Jesus. And he can save you from your sins. Woo! Somebody in the building shout hallelujah. I'm closing life application points. Number one, first, don't believe that all of a sudden everyone has become atheist. And that they must know something you don't. Because to listen to the media these days, I must be the only one left. Uh-uh. uh-uh. You don't need to make any, you know, excuses like the little boy. Mm-mm, it wasn't the Israeli Air Force that was bombing Egypt. The Israeli Navy didn't build a pontoon bridge. God split the waters in two. And why can God do that? I know science can't, but they didn't make the water. The water's got to do what its creator told it to do. Oh, I'm talking to you right now. Because when you create something, you hold power over it. Mm. And he holds the whole world in his hands. You hear what I'm talking about? Because he spoke it into existence. And I want to tell you, don't let anybody make you believe that everybody has suddenly gone atheist. Number two, don't believe that everyone with any education has better insight than you. First of all, we have in this building today people with degrees, multiple degrees. We have professors here, teachers here. You don't be intimidated. Think, oh, I, I didn't get to go to school like I wanted, you know. And get to get, get to finish my degree and I had to get out and get a job. And they must know something I don't. Uh-uh, don't you believe that? There's some things, like I said, you just know because you look up. And you know because you can think. Amen. Somebody in the building say hallelujah. hallelujah. And some of the world's most brilliant scientists that have given us the inventions that have radically transformed our lives believe the only way to explain the existence of our universe is to believe there was a supernatural being that created it. Number three, don't depend on others to do your research for you. Come on, I'm talking to you right now. All you do is watch the sports channel, ESPN. You know what I mean? As the world turns. Is that program still on? I don't know. 
As the world turns, all God's children have only one life to live, you know, and <laughs> on the edge of night. If that's all you watch, there's no telling what you're going to end up believing. Amen. No, don't believe all of that. Don't let everybody else do your research. Read a book once in a while. Pick up your Bible. See what God has to say. There are reputable sources out there. Amen. And do discuss these matters at home with your children. Do discuss them with your children. Show them what I just showed you. The things that I've just shared with you, you ought to get this CD and share it with your kids. You say, well, they're not at the age yet where they want to sit them down anyway. Amen. I, I want to say something right here because this is the last point uh, that I'm, I'm going to make. All right. Watch this. Okay. Number five, do commit to making God and the church among the most important factors in your life. Why do I say discuss these matters at home and make God and the church among the most important factors in your life? We cannot undo in one and a half hours on Sunday morning what they have been filled with the whole week out there in a world that's trying to rob them of God. Amen. So you need to do something in the home to help us. Hello, somebody. You say, I don't, I don't make my kids come to church. I don't want them to get bored, you know, and I'm afraid they won't like church. You send them to school whether they get bored or not. I wish my daddy had told me, you don't have to go to school. You're going to get bored. I, you know, I'd have loved that. I'm a Cajun, man. I was raised in Bayou country. I could have been shooting ducks and catching catfish. And, but where would I be right now? You hear what I'm saying? And where will your kids be if you do not teach them the word of Almighty God and what is important to them? Commit to making God the most important thing in your life. Stand with me across the building. Have I helped anybody here today? Come join me right now. Next Sunday, I'm going to finish this out. And when I do, I'm going to talk about personal encounters. You will not want to miss next Sunday. Is God real? I'm going to give you some things to believe. I want to pray for you right now. And I want to pray over this congregation. Because the God that we're talking about, one of the things that I will be addressing is the question of does God heal recently we are having an outbreak of miracles in this church we are we're having an outbreak of miracles received and she was in the 730 service this morning one of our ladies being treated for and diagnosed by several experts as having glaucoma the glaucoma has just disappeared it's gone yeah. I wonder, is the Polarte family in this building, mom, dad? Yeah, there they are. Hey, run up here real fast. Push through. Look, I'm serious. We are, if you've got a testimony about a miracle, let us know. We're filming that. You, come, come. I love these people. You see this man right here? His family was communicating with me. He was diagnosed with cancer by several different tests and physicians. They went in to do a final test to determine how they were going to do surgery. But even then, it was only going to be palliative to extend his life. When they went to do the last test, the cancer is gone. Hallelujah. Gone. 
go. Go. I need somebody to say go. I need somebody to shout go. Just so you will know, just so you'll know, did I tell it right? There you go. Did you hear that? The doctor said five times, this is a miracle, this is a miracle. Hallelujah. Somebody give him praise today. Somebody give him praise today. Why am I sharing this with you? I want you to know you can put your faith in a God who never fails. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. Father, I pray today for these my people, my family, my brothers and sisters. Build our faith and help us to overcome our doubts. In Jesus' name, help us to understand the power of your word and what it can do in our hearts and lives. If there's somebody that needs a miracle, grant it. Somebody that needs healing, heal today. Somebody that needs deliverance, deliver. Somebody that needs a breakthrough. Somebody that needs salvation, save. You see, beloved, the issue is, is God so old-fashioned that we don't need Him anymore? I'll tell you my answer. Lord, I need Thee every hour. I need Thee. Can't make it without my God. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. Would you worship Him right now? Somebody praise Him. Somebody praise Him. Somebody praise Him. Hallelujah.